You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Church, we have, along this progression, seen God. We've seen ourselves. Um, in addition to that, we've seen Christ. And now we are going to hear from his word. And we're going to release this um, children to be able to go and hear um, from God's word um, in their context as well. Would you give them a round of applause as they head out um, to their classrooms? If you have your Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 8. Um, Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Um, that is the passage that we have um, been walking through right now. We are um, through um, uh, chapter 8, uh, verse 30, and uh, we're walking again, once, uh, once again, Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39 is the section uh, that we're in. Um, we started this section prior to last week, and uh, Pastor Chad came and gave us um, a sermon, a biblical counseling sermon that we have once every six to eight weeks. Um, he um, inserted himself right smack dab in the middle of this section, as he normally does. He just inserts himself all the time. So, um, so you know, it's, he just puts himself in the middle of everything. So um, that's what he did uh, through this, uh, in the, right in the middle of this passage. But we're picking up in the second portion of this. Um, if you... Uh, if you ever have trouble following along or if you're new here and you're wondering what we do, um, the structure of what I'm about to do is to walk through the Bible itself. And so the structure is dictated by the text. Okay, so if you're ever wondering, hey, where are we? Like, I don't know where we're at here. I'm trying to follow along. Well, there really is no structure. The text is the structure. We're just exposing and explaining that. So if you're ever lost, just find yourself smack dab in the middle of wherever the scriptures are that we're reading through, that we're walking through, and whatever verse we're on, and that's where we're at, okay? So you can just find yourself in that text that we're in. All we're doing is walking through it, and we'll reference it quite often. So that's where you can always find yourself, is we're somewhere in there explaining it, okay? And so <clears throat> um, we're going to start this sermon because of the, um, the week break in between. Um, we're going to start the sermon on purpose the same way that we did a, a couple of weeks ago on purpose. And so um, I will tell you, if you haven't listened to two weeks ago, the introduction to this section of Luke, again, chapter 8, verses 26 through 39, we covered 26 through 29. Um, I would just encourage you to go on our podcast and listen to that um, because we did a brief introduction of theology, even a little bit on demons. And uh, much recap, and we can't do very much today extensively in regards of recap, but we do need to um, get us back to the place that, that we were. Today is going to be, I think, really powerful in our lives, um, the, the text itself. And so as we continue through this gospel of Luke, okay, here's what's happening. Luke is helping us understand the birth, the life, the resurrection, right? The birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. This is what we're seeing in the book of, of Luke. And he's putting it within the greater story of God's plan, right? The Bible has a story, a greater story that's not just about us. It's about what God is doing from the beginning of time until the end of time. There's this redemptive story going on. And everything we read has to be placed inside of that with its same purpose, right? We don't want to proof text, which that means is like, I'll just create like a bunch of good application points for you and find verses to prove that I'm right. And, and, and it's just taken out of the grander storyline of God and, and where the center just applies to us, right? We don't want to do that. We're seeing how God is unfolding everything over the course of time. And so what Luke is doing in this book is showing us the point in redemptive history where Jesus becomes a man. He's living this perfect life. He will die on the cross on behalf of the sins of, of those who would believe. He will raise from the dead and will ascend into heaven. 
So remember, we don't have to guess about this because we know Luke's purpose because he tells us explicitly. Luke chapter one, verses one through four. You remember this? Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. So Luke, this doctor, he's saying there's been a lot of people who have tried to compile a story, a narrative about what's taken place, namely that Jesus has come to earth. There's a lot of people. Now, Luke is a doctor, and so we see when he compiles this, he's very detailed oriented. So like if you're going to pick a gospel to preach through, right, Luke is probably going to be one of the most difficult to do. It's why we're like a year in, we're eight chapters in. So get ready. You guys are going to have gray hair by the time we're done, but you're going to be gospel Jesus centered people, right? But just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, Luke is saying, having followed these things closely for some time past to write myself an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Here's the purpose. You ready? That you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So the very reason why Luke has written this is that you may have certainty about some things. Certainty about what? Certainty about who Jesus is. The Son of God. Now, you take that for granted because you're on the right side of the cross, right? We look in retrospect, you're like, no, duh, right? But listen, this is, this is uh, the proof. This is, Luke is writing an orderly account that you might believe in Jesus as the Son of God. And if you do, that you would have eternal life. That's the answer. And so he's giving us a detailed account. The main thing that he's making sure of is that we would believe in Jesus, indeed, as the Son of God, the Messiah, fully God, begotten as fully man to accomplish the salvation for his people, to redeem the world. Luke is confirming to us that this is true. And if it's true, that you must believe in him and so receive the forgiveness of your sins. But not only is Luke showing us, the whole Bible is showing us. Everywhere in Luke, even from the genealogy, right? The testimony that the Messiah must come through a certain line to the witnesses, to the situation with Zechariah and Elizabeth, to the dedication of the temple, to the baptism of Jesus and the descending of the spirit upon him, to the authority to forgive sins, to the miracles. All of this is just a witness to show us that Jesus is indeed, this is him, this is God, this is the Messiah. And so just like the Gospels, the whole Bible is telling us this. It's showing us God's redemptive story and showing us who Jesus is and inviting us in. And so one of the ways, one of the ways that Luke is intending to show us this truth about Jesus is to display his divine power. Now, this is not just any old generic general power. He wants to show us Jesus' power over, over the curse that we see even starting in Genesis, over sin and Satan and the spiritual forces in the evil realm. He wants to show us the power over the effects of sin and over death itself. Because if Jesus, the Messiah, is going to save us from the power of sin, the power of hell, the power of death, the power of the curse, right? Then the power of the spiritual forces, then he must have the power over those things in order to accomplish that. And so what we're seeing in chapter eight here now to the end of the chapter is that Jesus is the one who will accomplish this great redemptive work because he does possess the power over sin, the power over Satan, the power over hell, the power over the spiritual forces and the power over death itself. He's showing us this. Luke eleven twenty tells us if by the finger of God, If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is a great verse because why? In the Old Testament, God speaks of his power, of his might, with his strong arm or his mighty hand. Here in the New Testament, speaking of Jesus, he says, if by my little finger, right, I cast out demons, then what you know is that the king has come, the king of the whole world. And I'm he. This is what he's saying. And this is exactly what we see. You don't have to wonder because Jesus says it explicitly. First John 3, 8, in his word, John tells us, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. And for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason that the son of God appeared was to destroy what? The works of the devil. The son of God came to show, to overcome sin and Satan and the forces of hell and death on our behalf to save us. Jesus must be able to accomplish this if he indeed is going to for us. So we see 
And we've seen Jesus' divine power over this power, this curse. Um, We saw it over the wind and the waves, the curse on the earth. And we've started to see it over the demons and the spiritual forces. And this is important for us because what we know is that the Bible is full, full of truth that our sin will condemn us to an eternity apart from God if it is not forgiven and paid for by Jesus himself. And so Jesus must have this power. So today, Jesus' divine power in finishing the story over the demon-possessed man. Jesus not only defeats the demon, listen, his power is not only to defeat the demon. His power is to redeem the whole man. This man is going to live on mission for Jesus for the rest of his life, one who seems to be unredeemable. And so we see Jesus's great power over darkness, over sin, over Satan, over death, over hell, over the curse, over all of Satan's tactics and ploys, and yet not only the power to stop it, but the power to redeem the whole man. Jesus's power, power can redeem even us, even the worst of sinners from Satan's grasp. Let's pray, and then we'll read. Father, we come before you this morning, and I just want to be faithful to the text. I just want to be clear and accurate. I don't want to go anywhere else beside this. There's too much here for us to jeopardize me getting in the way. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to just see what's here in this text by itself. It speaks for itself. Let me show and display what's here. Help us to see it clearly. God, help this not to be irrelevant to our lives. Help us not to think it to be irrelevant to our lives. We know clearly from your word that Satan and demons and spiritual forces in the heavenly places are at work in our lives to steal, kill, destroy, to prevent us from believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ to prevent your glory from being seen. And God, because of our sin, if Jesus, you don't have the power over all of these evil forces, then we are dead in the water and we are still in our sins. We need forgiveness from the one who has the power over Satan, over the effects of sin, over the curse, over hell, over death. And Jesus, help us to understand and to see that if you have this power, then we find in you eternal life, forgiveness for our sins, and victory over the power of death. God, help us. Help us to be thankful that you, Jesus, have this power. Help us not to be bored by this. Help us not to think this to be irrelevant, but yet so relevant in how you have the power to save us from our sin and transform our whole lives because of the power that only you possess as the Son of God. God, this is so vital to our understanding. I pray that you would help us understand and learn in Jesus' name, amen. Let's read, ready? Luke chapter eight, verses 26 through 39. We'll read the whole, or uh, yeah, 26 through 39. We'll read the whole story again. And once again, we are only um, walking through the the last 10 verses, 30 through 39 today. Here we go. Verse 28 of chapter eight, 26 of chapter eight, confusing you. Here we go. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes. Remember, Jesus was um, teaching the parable of the soils. Then he got into the boat, right? After explaining the parable of the soils to the disciples, he calms the storm to show his divine power over the nature, over the curse, right? That he's the son of God. They ask, who is this that can command the winds and the waves? Well, the answer is the son of God, who's got the power over the curse, He's not only in the boat because of that, though. He's in the boat because he wants to um, get away from the people. There's thousands, tens of thousands of people with him all the time. He's tired. He's really a man, okay? He's also fully God. And also, he's got a divine appointment with a demon across the lake, right, as we see as he enters the Gerasene region. Now he's approaching this Gerasene region. It's opposite of Galilee, verse 27. When Jesus had stepped out on land, so no sooner that he's... In, uh, that he's stepping out, is there meeting him a man from the city who had demons. 
Now, this man coming from the, the, the mountains is seeing Jesus from afar. Now, he's not recognizing Jesus because of his human form, right? He's recognizing Jesus because of his power, okay? So this man had never met Jesus there on earth, but this man has demons, or we could say demons had him, right? For a long time, he had worn no clothes. Remember, we talked about this perversion, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tomb, among the dead. That's what this, uh, the liking of this man was. In verse 28, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me? Jesus, son of the most high God. He knows who he is. Even the demons believe and they shudder. They have good theology, better than most anybody on the earth. They know the truth about who Jesus is, and so does this demon. Doesn't mean he likes Jesus. He hates Jesus. Wants to defeat all of his purposes, but he knows who he is. I beg you, do not torment me. Verse 29, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of him. For many a time it had seized him, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. That's where we left off, and I'll recap that in just a moment. Verse 30, here's where we're starting for today. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter there or enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. What an incredible, incredible story. If you have your Bible, follow along. But let me just tell you before we get into our verses for today, this is it. He's the son of God. He's exactly who he needs to be, the one who possesses the power to redeem. He's got the power over the curse, and now he's got the power over the forces of the spiritual realm, demons included. We know that this is the theme. Remember, as I told you, and I won't go through it extensively, but what we're going to see throughout this now to the remaining uh, uh, the end of this chapter is that we're going to see Jesus, uh, he, we saw Jesus, have the power of the winds and the waves, the curse, right, that the, the earth possesses is because of Genesis chapter 3 and Adam and Eve sinning for the first time. And so what we see in that is not only Jesus's power at his command, the divine authority and power, and we also see, and we saw the testimony of, the sinners in the presence of holy God being too intimidating and being afraid of who he is because in the sinner in the presence of holy God is exposed. And therefore, it's showing us that this man, Jesus, is not like any other man. This is God. This is nothing that man could do because they're also the responses of, of the, man, the men that are, that are with him. And so then we see this story in the same regard. We see Jesus' power, and we watch him uh, have, have command over the demons, over the spiritual forces, not only the curse, but the demons and the spiritual forces, Satan's powers, right? And then what we see in this passage is also, as these people witness it, they are afraid. Man, sinful man, in the presence of holy God, God. This is God, son of God. This is the whole purpose of this story. This is him. And it's too intimidating. They're exposed. Their sin is exposed. We're going to see the same thing next week as we look at the power, Jesus's power over the effects of sin or disease, right? And after he cures this or has the power over disease, human beings, sinful man in the presence of holy God, afraid because this is the son of God, the one who only possesses this power over the curse, over Satan, over the effects of sin. And then finally, 
finally, at the end of chapter 8, we're going to see this once again, his power over death. And then we're going to see the response of people, afraid, sinful man exposed before a holy God. This is to show us Jesus' divine power. It's the whole point of this. He's got the power to redeem us because he's got the power over sin, over Satan, over death, over hell, over the effects of sin, over the curse, and over our salvation. So as we watch this, as we watch Jesus unfold here in in this story, who he is, we also see this story in Matthew chapter 8 and Mark chapter 5. You can look at those passages at another time. They're going to help you because they have some interesting details about this. Don't do it now, okay? I know as soon as I say that, people get into their Bible and start looking at other places. Hold on now, right? But the only point that we saw last week, I'm still catching you up, is point number one, we saw the exorcism of the demoniac, right? We saw the beginning of the exorcism of the demoniac. Now, what's confusing here is he commands the demon to come out, and then we see this like expanded today. We're going to watch the actual exorcism take place, right? And so we saw this in verses 26 through 29. Not going to cover all the details, but what we said last time we did this, before Chad inserted himself, was that we can't begin to understand this story unless we realize that demons are intensely real. They are real, right? So the Bible is telling us, it verifies, it shows us in many cases that demons are real. They're intensely real. And by the way, Satan is still at work. And don't take that lightly. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. He's a lunatic. And he wants to destroy you and send you straight to hell. He's a lunatic. And so are all of his demons. So is everyone associated with with him. They're lunatics. There's no logic. Want to kill you and destroy your life. Defeat the glory of God and the gospel in your life and send you straight to hell. Satan has no good intention. And don't take lightly his ploy to destroy your life with sin or with temptation. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy your life. And that's real. And we see this. And Satan here in our, um, in our uh, 21st century world, in a lot of ways, ex- expresses his ploys in hiddenness, right? It's just the way that he's chosen. At the time of Jesus, we see more exposure, more explicit. In probably other third world countries and, and uh, where different temptations arise, we probably see more um, exposure of explicitness in his, in his working. Now remember, Satan can't indwell believers. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you have, or, or a, a d- demon, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, the, the demon, a demon cannot possess the one who be- is a believer in, in Jesus Christ. And we also talked about how, um, you know, we don't really know what's illicit, what, what, what is um, causing the demon to be attracted to this one particular man. Um, we see in scriptures, the evidences are that not all who possess these demons or are possessed by these demons are the worst of sinners. Sometimes children Children, even and children, of course, are not the worst of sinners if there was a measure by which we could measure, right? Um, but we also see in Scripture that idolatry is, it usually throws open the door to Satan's work in one's life, occult practices, right? And we see this being exposed by Jesus. Demons are at work all the time, but Jesus is exposing them. They're intensely real. From the fall of Satan and his army of fallen angels to the powers of hell and demons, all of these forces trying to prevent you from believing in the gospel and following Jesus Christ. We know this because the Bible tells us it's clear. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, right? This is the wrestle. They want to prevent you from believing in God. We know this because the Bible tells us. And what we understand, we can't comprehend everything because God's knowledge is so far above ours. What we see is that the demons and Satan's main goal is to wage war on God, on the gospel of Jesus Christ, on his creation, upon you believing in the gospel, right? And so not only are these intensely real in general, but we see that they were intensely real to the Gerasenes, right? They were exceptionally real to them because there was a man who was deranged by a bunch of demons. 
And this picture is a picture of violent insanity. You don't have to wonder about this. This is a picture of violent insanity. Too dark, too evil, too dangerous this man is to live in a community. He lived among the tombs. He lived among death. And in light of this, we can see that Jesus and the way he deals with this man is unafraid. Jesus is the king of the world. No power beyond his. But this man is a maniac, supernatural strength, able to snap bonds. We're going to see that this is not just one demon, although he uses sometimes singular verbiage in this. It's 2,000 to 6,000 in one man, right? 6,000 beings overtaking one man. Now, you might ask yourself the question, how in the world 6,000 demons fit into one man? Well, they're not physical beings. They're spiritual. They're immaterial, right? And so this is what's happening to this man. And Jesus intends to show us his divine power over the easy, easy victory of an army of demons. Easy, right? Nothing. Blink of an eye. No threat to him whatsoever. People who were terrified of him. This man who was a maniac and threatened everybody. And Jesus, the most powerful one can do whatever he wants here. So how do we see this? How do we get here as Jesus comes onto the shore? He sees this demon. This demon approaches him, and we see Jesus command the demon to come out of this man. Now, this is, again, uh, as the last section that we saw was kind of a summary as he commanded. But think about this, this shrieking, irrational, chaotic man with a demon inside. In a minute, we see this 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 demon who is supernatural strength, a constant threat to people, have full aggression, a lunatic, have people afraid, fall at the feet of God in flesh on his own. Now, keep in mind, he hates Jesus. This is not a submission. This is not him saying like, man, I respect you. I want to turn from my evil ways. I want to follow you, Jesus. This is him falling in fear to the power of God and surrendering because He's got no choice. This is the son of God, and and he knows it. Listen, the demons have better theology. Like I said, James tells us that even the demons believe and shudder, and he knows that he must obey what Jesus says. Just like the raging winds, just like the raging waves, so too the demon must obey the son of God. He cries out in a shriek, lunatic, violent. He's naked. Mark tells us he's cutting himself. He's not in a house. He's in tombs. There's 2,000 to 6,000. There's one representative on his behalf, and he sees Jesus. Jesus and he falls because Jesus holds all the power to defeat all of Satan and his forces. He calls him El Elyon, sovereign God. You're in charge of everything, right? To the one who holds all authority, he he falls on his knees. We see the true main point that Jesus is the one who possesses this power. Ephesians 2.1 says, you too, lest you think this is irrelevant to you, We're dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Jesus, thank God Jesus has power over Satan and his forces because he's able to redeem you from your darkness. We see in Hebrews 2.14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook in the same thing, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Right? He's able to redeem you from your sin because he possesses this power that we see. And this is a great display of it. He seized, he drives out the demon. But not only that, as we finish that first section, listen, we also see this care for this man. Look at the text with me. Look at it. Look at your Bibles. Verse 29. Look at where the parentheses start. Ready? For many a time it had seized the man. He was kept under guard and bond with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. We see here that this man was subject to the authority of the demon. And so Jesus not only is releasing this man from the demon, 
because the demon and to display his power, but he's also showing a care for the man. This man was held captive. He was, he was a prisoner. He, was, he, he could do nothing. He was passive. The demons would take over your body, your mind, your voice. This man was subject to the demon. And this is a care for the man who was driven out. And so the demons being cast out, Jesus showing his authority over them, and then his care for the man to redeem this man, the whole man, and set him on mission, redeeming him from the demoniac. So now, as we see the second point, as we walk through today, the second thing that we see starting in verse 30 is the eternal power of Jesus. We saw the exorcism of the demoniac. Now we see the eternal power of Jesus. Now what's happening here is you take the verse 29 and see how he commanded the demons to come out. It's kind of like a summary statement. And now we're watching this actually take place. We're watching it expanded. Now hold on tight because there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful information here. We see this. Verse 30. Let's start there. And I say eternal, by the way, because these angels, these fallen superior beings were created. They're not eternal one way. Um, in, the, uh, in the beginning, God created them, and yet they have power. They don't age. They have great understanding, knowledge of the past, of the present, of the future. None of it matters. Jesus' power presides over all of it. Doesn't matter how much information these demons have, how powerful they are, how much they know the past, present, future better than you do. Jesus' power presides over all of it. So his eternal power. Verse 30. Let's read it. Ready? Here we go. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. So as we see this, there's one demon speaking on behalf of the many, of the 2,000 to 6,000. I'll tell you why we know that in just a minute, that there's that many. The demon speaking. The man's passive. Um, The man is possessed by this demon. He asks his name. Now, listen. I know for a fact that Jesus um, does not need to know this man's name, right? He doesn't care. He doesn't want to set up a great first greeting. Like, you know, it's our first time meeting each other. Like, let me be polite. Let me ask your name so I know, right? Um, This is not the purpose. Jesus doesn't need to know, nor does he probably care much. This is for our understanding, Luke is showing us this. Jesus is asking this question. Jesus knows all things, right? He knows how many demons are inside this man instantly, right? He knows everything. There's nothing. What we we know about Jesus is he's omniscient, right? Not only is he omnipotent, which he's showing he's got all the power, right? He's omniscient. That means he knows everything. So he doesn't need to know this man's name. He's not asking him because he doesn't know, right? But he's asking for our benefit, that we would see the display of the great amount of demons that are here, because legion indicates to us how many demons are here. And the amount of demons that are here is, to us, what we understand is um, it's proportionate to the amount of power that we understand Jesus has, although it even falls short, because there could be an infinite amount of demons, and Jesus would be still more powerful. So what we see here is this man respond, and his name is Legion. Now, this comes, and it doesn't take you much research to know this comes from the Roman Legion, which, again, consisted of 2,000 to 6,000 troops, thus indicating a massive horde of demons inside this man. It's showing us how many. He's taken over. He's torturing this man. This man does not want this, nor is he the worst of sinners even. And we see that this man is taken over by these demons, and there's 2,000 to 6,000, once again, telling us this so we would understand the magnitude of Jesus's power. Verse 31. And what it says in verse 31, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. I love this because this demon who is so powerful over the people of that region is now begging. It's now begging You don't beg unless someone has power over you. And Jesus indeed possesses the authority and the power. This tormentor is now begging not to be tormented. Right? Jesus holds the power. And he says, it says in verse 31, he begged him not to command them. Right? So one representative, he begged Jesus not to command all of them. Wonderful, because what that implies is if 
you command, we must do. Don't command. If you command, we must follow. Please don't command. Now, this is command, word, just like the winds and the waves, right? My son, Preston, one of the best things, one of the things that I most enjoy about my time with him right now is, is uh, putting him in headlocks, okay? <laughs> um, don't do that to your friends or like people in church, but um, so we'll sit and like we're watching Natalia's um, gymnastics through the glass and I'm just sitting there without him knowing, headlock, you know, and I'll get him here and I'll start punching him in the stomach, okay? <laughs> now again, don't do that unless you know the person, okay? Um, and he's like flailing all over my lap, like, There's, uh, you know, punching him in the stomach, headlock, right? And, uh, and then he's trying to do it back to me and his cute voice, daddy, don't put me in a headlock, right? Um, <sighs> don't do that to your sons either, if, unless they understand your heart, right? Um, but listen, Jesus doesn't need to put this demon in a headlock. He just needs to command. He needs to use his words. And this demon is under his authority. It's taken Jesus showing us here that his words, his authority, is the ultimate power. He begs him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, the word here, abusos, A-B-U-S-S-O-S, literally the bottomless pit. You ask, why is he asking not to be commanded into this bottomless pit? Well, this place, listen, is a reference for where the demons are confined, incarcerated, um, and were when they fell. Some are, some more free to roam, um, and then all of them will be into the lake of fire at the end of time. Satan, even Satan, will be thrown into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. So Revelation 9, 11, 17, 20 speak of this bottomless pit. This is where they would be hindered from accomplishing anything against God upon the earth. They know God has the victory at the end. They know Jesus wins, but they're lunatics. And so until that happens, they want to wreak havoc on the gospel on God's glory. And so they don't want to be in the bottomless pit because at that point they are hindered from accomplishing their evil work. And so what we know about this is that uh, like when the, the, when the demon asks Jesus, what do you want with me, son of man? What he's literally asking is, hey, it's not time yet. Why are you here? Because he knows he will be defeated. But up until that time comes, he has the opportunity to rule against God. God's glory against um, Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ, not ultimate rule, but wreak havoc on the world. And so when he's saying this, I don't want to be cast into the bottomless pit. It's not with like good intentions, like I'm afraid, please have, have mercy on me. Like I want to be um, on your team now, Jesus. It's don't cast me into the bottomless pit because then I will be prevented from doing more damage to you. Like, that's how, that's the lunacy that's happening here, right? That's what's happening at this point. Second Peter 2, 4 tells us about this bottomless pit. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, the dark pit, to be kept until judgment. That's where some of them were, were, were sent, and Satan in the future is temporarily cast into this space as well for a thousand years before he's released at the end. Revelation 20, 11. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, beholding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. That's what happens when you go into the bottomless pit. You cannot deceive the people any longer. This is why this demon does not want to go there. He's got no good intentions until the thousand years were ended. So this is what the demon is asking. He's afraid because Jesus holds the power, and yet he still has evil motives. And that's what caused them in the beginning to turn away from God. The reverence, they know who God is, and yet they still have evil motives. 
They want to damage the gospel and the glory of God. It's not time yet. They still want more time. And yet the truth about Jesus is terrifying because he holds all the power in his words. Verse 32. What we see is now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, begged them, uh, begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Now this large, large herd of pigs, the demon knows that he must leave the man. The demons know that they must leave the man at this point. And there's a large herd of pigs, thousands of them, right? And we know this is Gentile territory because this, these pigs, this is not Jewish t- territory because um, no Jews are eating bacon at this time, right? What we see is that the cloven foot animal um, is, is, um, is unclean. And so this is, again, as we've talked about, Gentile territory. So by the way, if you're wondering, like, did the Gentiles receive the gospel for the first time through Paul? Well, permanently, in a more expressed, uh, permanent way, yes. But that was not the first time, right? We see in the gospels a lot of the gospel going to Gentile people. And this is one of those, one of those instances. And so he's, they're feeding on the hillside, right? And, um, and they begged uh, Jesus to, uh, to go into the, pig, the pigs, again, begging the authority that we see. He kept asking. This is in the progressive sense. And God gave them, Jesus gave them permission, right, to go into these pigs. Now, there is a lot of research and a lot of people talk about this passage. First of all, does Jesus have like some cruelty to animals, right? And we're not going to go into this right now. In addition to that, um, we see the, um, the information that pigs are fat and have small legs and so are natural, what is called natural swimmers, right? Um, they float and their legs can, uh, can make them swim pretty quick. Um, there might be some of that to this. And, uh, and yet, um, there's something far deeper into this. And so what the demons would do is because, listen, you got to understand this. Demons, Satan, they cannot impact or distort or um, affect God himself and his glory um, at all. Any of his angels, any of who God is, the heavens, like they are powerless, right, to that. And so the demons and Satan himself desire to work in the physical realm. That's what we see, because what is God's glory? Well, God's glory is God's holiness made manifest. Listen, his holiness is his perfection, and his glory is when that perfection is visible, made seen. Holiness is glory concealed. Glory is holiness revealed, okay? So what they want to do is to to distort God's glory, who he is being made manifest to people so that people see and see how great God is. So they want to impact the physical realm that displays God's glory and the people who would see that and be saved. And so this is their goal, to distort the physical realm, right? And because this is how God saves sinners and makes worshipers, right? It's through the physical realm. But what's wonderful here is that Jesus gives them permission, right, to go into the pigs. And it's a perfect picture for us. Because you know how on the cross, Satan was defeated by his own tactic to kill Jesus, right? Like God is so wise. Like Satan, I'm going to destroy you by your own people and you're going to die. And therefore, in that act of dying, Jesus saved the whole world from their sin, right? So like Joseph, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good, right? And God is so wise. I mean, Satan can't win. Well, in the same way here, listen, the same, it's the same picture, okay? The goal of the, the demons is to kill. That's what they do. And without any restraint from God, they kill, right? So you remember in the book of Job, God gave him free reign, but he said to do what? Not to kill Job, right? Well, here, that's all they do is kill And the reason why the demoniac is not killed is because Jesus didn't allow it. God didn't allow it. But as soon as they go into this herd of pigs, they do what comes natural. They kill and they destroy themselves. And so that's what we see happening here. The, 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 The demons possess no power over Jesus and they defeat themselves. So we see the wisdom of God over all of evil the demons kill, 
right? The demons killed. They're lunatics. They have no idea. The deliverance is shown here that the, that the demons go from the man to the pig. So we see evidently clear that the man is now without a demon. It shows the demons lunacy in the sense that they know Jesus is going to win. They want to kill and yet they destroy themselves. We see Satan and his lunacy. This doesn't make any sense. We see the power of Jesus over Satan and the spiritual forces. And then we're going to see his word spread. See his word spread. So listen, Jesus, his power overturns the curse, overturns Satan, overturns the forces, and overturns the effects of sins and de- sin and death itself. Number three, and lastly, and which is very applicable to us as we move into 34 through 39, is the effect that this has on the people. The exorcism of the demons, the eternal power of Jesus, and then the effect on the people. As we watch this, this is wonderful for us to take in. Ready? Verse 34. We're going to see this effect on the people, the healed man and the people observing it in this town, in this region. Verse 34. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. The herdsmen, right? Who are herdsmen? Herdsmen are the people who take care of what? The herd of the pigs, right? These people take care of thousands of pigs. So they're probably um, smelly. And yet um, they are um, people who are outside, have no um, involvement in this. And they're just watching. And they've seen this. There's witnesses to this. They saw what had happened and they fled. Remember, what's the reaction to the people who have seen what God has done? They flee and they go and they start to tell of things that have happened that no one else can do. This is the son of God. This is the point of this text. This is, he has the power for salvation. They are not doing anything that is unnatural. They are doing what is natural. They go into the city and the surrounding country. Remember I told you Matthew, Mark, and Luke have like different names for this location, giving you the broader picture. Well, this gives us the indication that he's going everywhere and he's spreading the word. Remember, this is the point of this. And the herdsmen are running and spreading the news. Verse 35, then the people went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus and they found the man whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. This is the point. This is what we're going to see. This is incredible. This is the effect on the people. Listen, these people had come out. The people went out. Actually, Matthew tells us that the whole city came out. Look at this. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. They came out to see for themselves. And they found a former demoniac at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. Obviously, something had changed. But listen, they did not just come out to see the pigs because Matthew tells us they came out to meet who? Jesus. That's who they came to see. They had all the information. They came to see this man, Jesus from whom this power had come. And while they're there, they find the man who had the demons. Clothed, perversion, gone. Now listen, it says that they found him sitting there in his right mind, literally thinking wisely. Now I want you to watch this. You ready? Because think about this man that we saw a little bit ago, passive, subjected to demons, gone. Luke describes this man taking the place and posture of a learning disciple. And notice the opposite transition. You think this is power over Satan and the devil and hell and death, spiritual forces, the effects of sin is irrelevant to your life? Watch this. Because this man who had demons now has no demons. This man who was naked is now fully clothed. This man who did not live in a house, aimless, nothing can control him, is now self-controlled, stationary, seated. This man who was out of his mind is now wise and in his right mind. 
This man who was among the tombs and the dead is now among the living, the disciples, the people, and around the one who is the life. This man who had evil strength now is in a posture of submission. This man who had shrieking and yelling constantly is now sitting and listening. This man who had evil intent to torture and to steal and to kill and destroy and to do evil now desires to be with Jesus and is peaceable and desires to do good. That's the transforming power of Jesus Christ who has the power to defeat Satan in your life. He can change you just like that. He can change you just like he changed this man. That's what he does. And he's the only one who has power to do it. That's what he's showing us. This is not irrelevant to your life. He's got the power over the curse, over Satan, over the spiritual realm, over sin and over death. And this is what he accomplishes through salvation, your total transformation. At some point, this man believed. And as we watch these other people come and they watch this and they're afraid. The, the Greek word that is used here is what we often get the word phobia from because it's, again, sinful man in the presence of holy God. This is showing us that this is he. And those who had seen it, they told them about how the demon-possessed man had been healed, literally had been saved. He is no longer like this. They have the information. Listen. Verse 36 and 37, with all the evidence before them, with all the great miracles that have been wrought, these people are watching this. Listen, stay close. Ready? These people are watching this. They've seen all of this. They have all of the information. And these people now proceed to reject Jesus. Verses 36, verse 37. And then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. Listen, instead of receiving Jesus, they asked him to leave. Now, it may have been associated with the material Things that they lost. They lost the pig. They don't want Jesus to destroy any more of their pigs. I don't think that's it. They still might be interested in more material prosperity than him. But those who had seen it and watched him be saved, listen, they understood all the details, yet no miracle would convince them. The Son of God, listen to me, the Son of God was right in front of them, calling them to come and be saved and be transformed right in front of them. His words, his command was right in front of them and they rejected him. The power of God literally before them and they rejected him. Sometimes you often hear that a miracle or a voice from heaven, if someone would just, if I would just hear a voice from heaven, I would believe, no, you won't. Because sinners want to stay in their sin. And you've totally underestimated the power of sin and Satan. Because these people see it. And yet they want their sin more than they want Jesus. No great miracle. Remember all the soil parables? Right? The seeds are planted, washing right over. No penetration whatsoever. So they asked him to depart. Now listen, stay with me. We're almost done. We're about to be finished. They asked him to depart because they were seized with great fear. It says, for, the fear was the reason for they asking him to part. Listen, here's what's happening right now. They're in the presence of God and they are exposed sinners. And this is what happens. We see it in Isaiah. He sees the Lord, woe is me. We see it with Peter. He says, depart from me, Lord. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. And we see responses from them of repentance and faith. And then we see someone like Judas, who's an exposed sinner, and turns away. Listen, when confronted with sin and the exposure to your sin, it's too intimidating to pursue Jesus. And instead of repentance and belief, there's rejection. You see this all the time. Someone will spend their whole life trying to talk away God or trying to speak of all the 
the nuances of Jesus and the gospel and the Bible and whether it's true. In all reality, they're just exposed sinners and they don't want to, it's too intimidating to be in the presence of holy God. And you find even Christians do this. Listen, some of you, some of us as humans, the last thing that we'll do is admit when we're wrong. And believe me, people around us know it. People around you see it. The last thing you want to do, so you'll blame shift. You'll do anything you can to reject just receiving that you've done something wrong. Because the real issue is you're afraid of punishment, which is the same for the unsaved sinner. You're afraid if you receive that, that truth that you have done something wrong that you'll be punished, right? And rejected because of it. And so you'll blame shift, you'll do everything you can to reject the fact that you have done something wrong, right? And this is what these people are doing, leave. And yet, God tells us of the opposite response and how that's freedom for us. Listen, and salvation for our souls. First John 1, 9 just says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen to me person in the room who doesn't know Jesus, just embrace it. You're a sinner. Praise God that Jesus died on the cross for sinners. Right? Christian in the room, stop denying all the wrong things you do. Stop denying it to everybody. Everybody knows you do wrong things. Just receive it. Embrace it. And say, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? And then you receive forgiveness. This is the model that Jesus shows us. These people are rejecting Jesus because they're exposed sinners. Let us not be damned or condemned because we refuse to repent and just believe and receive it and receive forgiveness. They're in the presence of God. Now listen, we're almost done. Please stay with me. Ready? They get into the boat. Jesus gets into the boat and he goes. He goes because they asked him to. I think a lot of people in the world, how could a loving God send people to hell? Therefore, I don't believe. Well, if you don't believe, then why would you want an eternity with God? If you don't believe and you don't want to live for God, then an eternity apart from God is God just simply giving you what you want, which is not to be with him for all of eternity. Here you go. You got what you wanted, right? Like that's, he's giving you exactly what you want. So why would you... Fault him for that. This is judgment here. He gets in the boat and he leaves. He gives them exactly what they wanted. And so this is judgment. This is punishment. And they are left to their sin. You see, these are the people who saw the Son of God right in front of them and denied it. Who's the real lunatic? These people are the true lunatics. The word of God right in front of them. Salvation right before their eyes, and they turn away because they want their sin. Who's the real lunatic? These people are the lunatics. But verse 38, this man is the exact opposite. They want him to leave. Stay with it, ready? This man, verse 38, the man who the demons had gone out begged that he might be with him. The exact opposite. They want him to leave. This man wants to be with him, right? I want to stay with him. Isn't that how the transformed heart works? The healed man begs to stay and be and go with Jesus. He could not be close enough to the Savior. By the way, because here's what Jesus says, no, I need you to go. Go back home and tell everyone what God had done. Listen, the, by the way, this is the exact disposition that you should have for your entire Christian life. This is it. This is how the perfect balance is. You wake up in the morning and you say, Jesus, I've been transformed. I've been healed. I want to be with you. I want to stay in your word. I want to read it. I want to pray. I want to soak in everything. Jesus says, no, time's up. Go. The wor- I want th- th- your coworker, share the gospel. Go invest in your children. Go invest in your family. Go share the gospel with the person at the gym when you go at your work. No, but I want to stay. No, I want you to go, and I want you to live on mission. That's the, that's the duality. That's the disposition that you should have for your whole life. I want to stay. No, go. But you should always want to stay. But then he sends you to go and to make disciples, right? And this is what's happening here. And this is how this man is sent back to evangelize. He's not a mature Christian evangelizing. He was just saved. 
He's telling everybody now about Jesus. Everyone should share their faith, not just the mature Christians. This man has no background. He's just saved, and he's going to go tell everyone who Jesus is, because this is a Gentile world who is not hearing the gospel. This is missions at its finest, and unreached people who have no access to the gospel. And this man now is providing access because he was changed, and he is staying, and he is now sharing the gospel with these people. And he's declaring this good news to these people. This man is showing us the power of Jesus, the power to redeem over the curse, over Satan, over sin, over the effect. The gospel transformed this man, and now he's an evangelist. So how are you going to respond when you hear this message? How are you going to respond to Jesus who exposes your sin? Will you be like the people and, 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 and reject Jesus because you're too intimidated by it? Or will you receive it and let Jesus save you from your sin, change you as you recognize who he is, cry out to him, desire nearness, follow his commands? This is the pattern. And then he sends you to go share with others. This is the pattern that we see, the demoniac to the evangelist. And Jesus can do that in your life if you'll receive the truth about who you are and who he is, and you allow him to transform you and to send you on mission. Only he has the power over sin and Satan's power in your life. Go to him, recognize who he is, cry out for mercy, desire to be near Christ, follow his commands, and share him with others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I know that um, there's so much that we need to just keep on talking about. And yet we ask that you would help us right now in our seats as we sing and as we respond to you. There's no better place that we need to be right now for another few minutes. I know we're over and I know we're long, um, by about 10 minutes, but God, there is no other place that we need to be. We need to respond to your word by singing and by worshiping and by being transformed and changed and, and responding to your word in song. God, help us right now to just to, to beg you as we're singing for you to have power over the, the spiritual forces in our lives and to transform us like you did to this man that we would cry out for mercy, recognizing who you are, that we desire to be near you like he did. And yet we would follow your command as you tell us, just like you told him. And then we'd go out and share you with others. Help us to look to you for the power to save us and transform us. We thank God that you, Jesus, have the power to do so. Help us now to respond before we leave. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.